Thank you very much. I'm Alison Thrinatsuas. Um, it'd be good if you could have your Bibles open. There's some in the pews. It's page 1042 in the Bibles, Luke 10, 25 to 37. Um, and that may help you as you try and follow what I'm trying to say. Let's pray, though, and ask for God's help as we do that. Father, we thank you that your word is a word that is alive and active and speaks to us today. Help us to hear what you are saying to us through it, that we may um, understand and so join in with your purposes in our lives. Amen. Well, in the um, story we just read, that Alison's just read to us, it's a very well-known story, isn't it? It's the story of the Good Samaritan. But it starts by um, the Good Samaritan state quoting the laws, the great laws, the two great laws. And one of them is love your neighbor as yourself. And um, Jesus says, go and do that. And the man says, but who is my neighbor? And it's a bit of a strange question. What he's sort of saying is, look, you, you say to love people, but, but who exactly am I meant to love? The assumption seems to be for this, this lawyer, this expert in the law, that there's some people that you're meant to love and some people that you don't have to love. Who are we meant to love? Who is meant to be our neighbour? Well, as you know, it's the Queen's funeral tomorrow. And the Queen is someone who, over the years in her role, has had to meet with um, probably thousands and thousands of different kinds of people. People from all sorts of different cultures and backgrounds, different countries, different philosophies, different um, whatever. And I wonder what she felt about all the different people that she was meeting. Did she see them as neighbours to love? Well, there's two incidences that are particularly um, well-known, and one and about 50 years apart. That gives a sense of the length of her reign, doesn't it? The first was in 1961. It was a time when, um, the, in Africa, the, there was decolonisation happening quite rapidly. Ghana was the first um, country to be given independence in Africa, um, or sub-Saharan Africa anyway. And um, the president of that country, that happened in 1957, and the pres president of the country, whose name I won't try and pronounce, um, in 1961 was seriously considering leaving the Commonwealth, which was only just really getting going as a replacement for the British Empire, and joining with the communist groups, the Soviet Union and so on. And so the British government decided to send the Queen on a royal visit to, Ga to Ghana as part of the Commonwealth. And the Queen went there and there's a state banquet and everything else. And what the Queen did was she danced with the President of Ghana. And that at the time was quite a big and shocking moment. Remember, this is a time that in America, in the southern states, there was um, still very much segregation between blacks and whites. In South Africa, apartheid was still very much um, the way things were done. But here was the queen dancing, treating as an equal the president of Ghana. It was an important moment that helped to um, seal the fate of the Commonwealth. For her, he was very much her neighbor, even though, sadly, European history had looked down on Africans in the past. And then 50 years later, or just over that, in 2012, she met with Martin McGuinness, the leader, or had been the leader of the Irish Republican Army, the terrorist organization in Northern Ireland. An organization that had been responsible for blowing up 
the boat of Lord Mountbatten and killing him, who was also the uncle of her husband, Philip, someone they were very close to. And yet at that moment, she came and she shook hands with Martin McGuinness. She treated him as her neighbor as well. And it was a very powerful moment that helped to seal the peace that had been negotiated at the end of the last century in the Good Friday Agreement. The Queen was able to treat people that were very different to her, people that had even been her enemies as a neighbor. Why? When you look at historically um, the world um, and cultures, generally people have often looked down on people that are different to them, often not treated them with respect or kindness or love. That seems to be the natural way that people behave. But Jesus, you see, teaches something very different, doesn't he? He teaches that all people, no matter what their culture, no matter what their background, no matter whether they're enemies or friends, should be loved as our neighbor, should be loved as ourselves. And that, of course, is the thrust of um, what's happening in this passage. So we come to the story of the Good Samaritan. The, um, the lawyer says to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Yes, I've got to love my neighbor as myself, but who? Who shall I love? And Jesus responds with a story and a question. And it's worth starting with a question which comes after the story. And the question is this, who was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Do you see that Jesus has turned the question around? Not, not who should my neighbor be, but who was a neighbor to this person? And Jesus is almost inviting us, as he gives us this story, to, to put ourselves in the position of the man who's been beaten up stripped of his clothes and left half dead on the side of the road. Saying, put yourself in his position. If you're in his position, who would you want to be your neighbor? And he tells a story and you get these, uh, this priest and then this Levite passing by. And the priests and the Levites, like the lawyer, would have been experts in the law. They'd have known the Old Testament. They would see themselves as committed to following God's laws. And they would know that to love your neighbor as yourself is one of the most important laws there is. And they'd have seen this man on the side of the road. And yet somehow they would have justified to themselves that at that moment, at that time, this man was not their neighbor and therefore didn't need to be loved and they could walk on by. We don't know how they did it. We didn't know how they twisted the, their thinking or, or the, in their minds. But we all know we're very capable of twisting things to try and make things say what we want them to say. Somehow, they thought it was all right to walk on by on the other side. And then a Samaritan comes. And you probably know that Samaritans and Jews didn't really like each other. Um, in fact, the relationship between the Samaritan and Jews was very much like the relationship between nationalists and loyalists in Northern Ireland in the last century. It was a, a relationship of hatred based on different cultures, different religions, um, and a history of violence between the two cultures and groups. And yet they lived side by side in what was Roman-occupied Palestine. And you get a taste, actually, of, of the sort of antagonism, the, the hatred between them, even from Jesus' disciples. So if, if you've got your Bibles open, look back to chapter 9, verses um, 50 onwards, um, particularly 52, I think. Sorry, my sight's going. And he sends, Jesus sends messages ahead of him to go to a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. 
When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call flames down on his village? But Jesus rebuked them, and they went on. Do you get the sense of the antagonism between Samaritans and Jews? Here, here are the Samaritans. I hear someone is a Jew heading for Jerusalem. Well, we, we don't really believe in Jerusalem. We're not going to welcome him. That's how they felt about Jews. Uh, and what did James, how did James and John's response? Torch the village. You get a sense of the hatred that was there, even um, expressed by the disciples. And yet in the story, it's the Samaritan that Jesus says comes along, sees the man on the side of the road, and has compassion or pity on him. And actually, if you analyze the story carefully, the word compassion or pity is the central word in the story, and it's the turning point of the story. And compassion is about um, seeing the need of someone else and really feeling it for yourself, understanding it for yourself and acting on that. It's, it's really taking seriously the command to love your neighbor as yourself. It's putting yourself in your neighbor's position and acting to give them what they need. And that's the thrust of what Jesus is trying to say with this story. Put yourself in the position of the man on the road how would you want anyone to behave towards you? We'd want them to care for you, like the Samaritan. And the Samaritan shows his compassion in an incredibly generous and loving way. He stops, um, he cares for the man, he, he washes his wounds, he bandages him, he, he uses the wine and, and oil that he'd had with him, which would have been quite expensive to use, but... It, and as was natural in those days, he would use them as kind of salves or medicine to help treat the wounds. He then put the man on his donkey um, and took him to the nearest inn. Uh, and then he, he looked after him overnight in the inn. And then he, he left the innkeeper with two silver coins, two denarii, which hundreds of pounds in today's money. And said, if, if that's not enough to look after him until he's better, then I'll pay more when I come back. This was incredibly generous and kind and active. Who was a neighbor to the man? When Jesus asked the question of the lawyer, the lawyer, not able to say the Samaritan, at least concedes the man who showed mercy to him. When we put ourselves in the position of others, we, don't, we can see that you don't care who it is that's looking after you, who it is that's meeting your needs. When, you, when you're desperately in need, it doesn't matter if it's an enemy. It doesn't matter if it's someone from a different race. It doesn't matter if it's someone that you dislike or someone that's hurt you in the past. If they're willing to help you now, you'll accept it. And so why not split it, turn it around and love anyone you come across, no matter who they are? And I guess most of you here have been to church most of your lives or been to church a lot and know this. But can I ask you, can you think of a person or a kind of person, or a group of people that you're not willing to love as you would love yourself. You're not willing to treat as on an equal footing with you so that their needs will be met by you when, they, when, it, when you come across them. If there is anyone, then maybe you'd like the lawyer trying to limit God's commands, twist them. And you see, I think this lawyer, I wonder if he would really have done what Jesus said and go and do likewise. 
He's not even willing to describe the person in the story that helps the man on the side of the road as a Samaritan. He just says the one who showed him mercy. And when you go back to the start of the story, again, you see that actually this lawyer isn't really coming to Jesus with a desire to learn or become one of his disciples or anything like that. Rather, he's coming with a kind of antagonistic attitude. Actually, the first question he asks isn't to do with who is my neighbor, but is um, how, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You go back to verse 25. That's what he comes and says. Um, and Luke says that the, the lawyer is testing Jesus. The word here for test is about, it's about, it's not just about trying to sort of check if Jesus is all right, but actually it's kind of an antagonistic testing. Sort of, Jesus, I don't really get, get what you're saying. I don't really understand. I don't really go along with what you're saying. You know, can you really be saying this? And when you read the context, you see maybe why the lawyer is asking the question. So we often don't read the context, do we? We just sort of take, oh, the Good Samaritan, we know that story. Here's a section. But it actually comes in, in chapter 10 of um, Luke. And in chapter 10 of Luke, um, the first part of the passage, he sent out 72 disciples. They've gone on a mission. Um, they've come back to Jesus, and they're full of excitement. You know, they've gone, gone going out. They've healed people. They've cast out demons like Jesus. Everything's been successful. It's been wonderful. And Jesus says to them, this is wonderful. And he prays, and he, he, he gives a speech at the end of, um, in the middle of chapter 10. And if you look at verse 20, he says um, this. Um, However, do not rejoice that the, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you have eternal life. What he's saying to his, to his disciples, those that have joined up to be with him, those that have decided to follow him, to take up their cross and to go his way, is that you have eternal life. It's written there in the book of life. It's certain, it's secure, it's true. Those who join up with Jesus that give their lives to him have eternal life. Then look at what he says in verse 21. He says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy, for the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden, hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Now, who was wise and learned? It was the expert in the law. The Jewish lawyer that was listening on. And so do you see what he's just heard Jesus saying to his disciples? You've got eternal life. And yet, this man says, well, what must I do to have eternal life? If you, your disciples have done this, your uneducated group, what about me, that expert in the law? What should I do? And Jesus responds by saying, well, you're the expert in the law. What's, what's written in the law? What does it say? What, how do you interpret it? And then the man says, quite rightly, with the two great commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you're right. You've understood it. You know your stuff. Go and do this, and you will live. In other words, it's not just about understanding. It's not just about knowledge. 
It's actually about taking these things to hearts so that your life is based on them. Are you really going to go and love God's? Are you really going to go and love your neighbor? And yet the man responds, Luke says, by trying to justify himself. His lawyer thinking was like, um, well, if I've got to, fit, if I got to measure up to these commands, um, I need to make sure that we've got a right understanding of the commands and I can, who is my neighbor? No, then I, I can know if I'm actually meeting the commands to love my neighbor. And if I can restrict, restrict the moment my neighbor is, I can probably find I can do that more easily. Now, if you think that by following commands and measuring up to commands, you can give yourself eternal life, then you generally try and make the commands less challenging so you think you can meet them. This man is trying to measure up to Jesus. And yet the truth is that Jesus is God's son come to earth. Jesus is showing that in the miracles he's doing and the way he's preaching. And yet this man is not accepting Jesus. He's testing him. He's not loving God if he's not loving his son. He's failing on the first command, and yet he's worried about details of the second command. You see, unless you're willing to trust and believe in Jesus as God's son, unless you're willing to accept him as your savior and Lord, then you can't claim to love God. You're never going to measure up. But what Jesus has shown is not so much about measuring up to the law, but but joining up with him and his mission and his purposes, becoming one of his people, trusting in him as your savior and your Lord. And as soon as we do that, we have eternal life. So will you join up with Jesus? Or are you worried about measuring up? You see, I think many people in our world are more worried about measuring up. They're more worried about trying to justify themselves. It, it may be that they, they, they want to measure up to the, the, the cultural norms that seem to be around them, which is becoming increasingly difficult today, isn't it, with lots of different views about what the cultural norms should be and how they keep changing over time and different politically correct things and so on, or anti-politically correct things. It's, it's going harder and harder to measure up to whatever the standards are in our society. Or maybe you want to measure up to, to someone you respect, maybe a, a parent or a grandparent or, or, or a figure, or maybe measure up to a group of people that you respect and so you can fit in with them. Or maybe you are spiritually concerned and you, want, you think it matters that you measure up to God. You think when it comes to the last day and you stand before God at the judgment seat, you will measure up. People say to me, well, God will accept me. I've lived a good life. I've done lots of good stuff. I've been kind to people and so on. They think they measure up, but do they really? When you look at the commands to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength? We think that measuring up is what's necessary. Then we're fools. There's been a lot of talk about the Queen over the last 10 days, and there'll be a lot of talk tomorrow as well. And there's lots to celebrate in the life of the Queen. Her dedication, her service, her devotion over so long has been phenomenal and amazing and been a great blessing to this country. 
And yet I guess there's areas in her life where she didn't measure up to God's standards. Areas where she wasn't quite the person that God called her to be. And yet she did say that she had joined up with Jesus. She did talk about her faith in Christ. Her desire to follow him as her example and model for life. There may be things that she did wrong. But like the disciples, and unlike the lawyer, she had joined up with Christ and can be confident of his gift of eternal life. The question for each of us is, will we join up with Jesus? Will we trust in him as the one who will save us and help us? We trust in his compassion for us, a compassion like the compassion of a good Samaritan, a compassion that is generous and kind, so generous that he gave his life on the cross for us. And in joining up with him, will we go and do likewise? Loving our neighbours, no matter who those neighbours turn out to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for its challenges and for its encouragements. Help us to be people that are keen to join up with Christ, to trust in him for salvation and to follow him in our lives. And help us not to be those that try and measure up and twist the law and justify ourselves like the lawyer. We thank you for your gift of eternal life to those who do join up. We pray that you'd help us to truly live for you and learn to love our neighbours ourselves no matter who our neighbour might be. In your name we pray. Amen.